Thank you, Pastor Brandon and the praise team, worship team today. It's great to be with you here at West Cabarrus Church. And I think it was about a year ago, Pastor Ryan had asked me to come and to share uh, what God was doing through Christian Adoption Services. And it's always good to be invited back. That means you passed the first test, all right? And so hopefully maybe next year I'll get the invite back. That means I passed uh, the test number two. And uh, I've had the opportunity to preach in a lot of different churches. And those of you who take notes and stuff, you've got a brand new sermon coming at you today, all right? And, uh, and so I've actually been invited back to several churches along the way. So I think I've got, I kind of call my number one, which you got last year, my sugar stick sermon, number one. And then you're getting 1A today. It, it's right there. And I've got a 1B and a 1C now. And, uh, but they're, I, they're, I'm excited to share this one with you today and what God's... Uh, led me to share this morning uh, as far as uh, what God is doing through West Cabarrus. I hear all kinds of great things through your pastor. I'm thankful for him. Uh, we've gotten to know each other real well the last couple of years. And I was telling the folks in the first service, I, obviously our common bond is relationship with Jesus Christ and our passion for the gospel. But right under that is a passion for a baseball team up in the Bronx. And uh, some of you may know that your pastor is a big Yankees fan and I'm right there with him. And uh, we love the Yankees. And y'all may say, well, how in the world did you become a Yankees fan with that accent? And I was actually born right uh, in Virginia Beach area, Virginia. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and we served. Uh, he was down in North Carolina most of uh, all of his uh, ministry serving. And I've served in North and South Carolina in churches. But my dad grew up in the 50s and uh, late, early 60s being uh, going to baseball games up in Washington, D.C., and seeing the Senators play. And he fell in love with a young player in the early 50s named Mickey Mantle. And uh, because of that, uh, he passed that on to me. And so I am a diehard Yankees fan through thick and thin. And uh, that's something Ryan and I talk about pretty much weekly, how the Yankees doing. And that's, you know, being uh, down here in the South, everybody's a Braves fan. And so uh, we, we uh, definitely get that common bond and sharing about what got, what's going on in baseball and trade deadlines and all the great things happening uh, in MLB. But I'm excited to be here today and to share what God's doing through Christian Adoption Services. It, I'm thankful for the partnership. I know you're in the middle of a summer giving challenge. And uh, as, as Pastor Ryan mentioned earlier, as you give to that, you're supporting Christian Adoption Services. And we're very thankful for that support. We have about 50 so, or so churches in North and South Carolina that have come alongside with Christian Adoption Services and say, we believe in what you're doing and we want to help you accomplish that. And Wes Cabarrus is in that group and we're very thankful for your prayers and support um, for our ministry. It means so much to us as, as we continue to, to be faithful and stand on the front lines and dealing with a lot of dysfunctional uh, situations that are going on right here um, in North Carolina and in South Carolina. And so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your sacrificial giving and supporting uh, this ministry. God's doing a tremendous work. In the past five years since I've been at CAS, we've had five, 25 birth moms give their life to Christ. And so we're very focused, intentional, as we work with a lot of dysfunctional situations to share the love of God. And we're very thankful for these moms who are in very, again, difficult situations, but uh, are open to the gospel. And we have the opportunity to share uh, with them. And so CAS has been around for 42 years. I've been a part of it for five and a half years. Prior to that, I served at First Baptist Church Charlotte. So we've been in this area since 2007. And I love how God is. Uh, connected adoption with the gospel and so we're gonna we're gonna see that lived out today in, in the text we're talking about and connecting that and and what is our role when it comes to that 
By the way, I love the culture here. I get to talk to your pastor quite often, and he brags about you guys and what God is doing through this ministry and the impact it's having in so many lives. And the culture of adoption is, is somewhat rare um, in the churches. I speak in two to three churches a month across the Carolinas, and I don't run into too many churches where I have the privilege of coming into to preaching and sharing where y'all have that culture, right? Y'all live out that culture um, in your daily lives with many folks who have uh, adopted, who are in the fostering process, um, whether it be through international, domestic, a lot of different areas and or on the front lines and, and your partnership with Love Life on the, on the other side of things, uh, saving a life um, there and stopping abortion. I love the culture here. And so thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being a part and standing with us and joining hands with us. And, and all the stories and all the accomplishments that God does in, uh, through this ministry, you guys are a part of that. And you'll hear a story at the end of the day that I think would be a blessing to you and a story that you guys are right uh, front and center um, in supporting and, and not even knowing you're supporting it, but you're right there with it. And all the stories that we get to celebrate one day when all this is said and done and we're in heaven and to see that you know 25 moms gave their life to Christ and we were a part of that, even though you may not have known it. And I wasn't there in, in, in those situations where our social workers were there caring and sharing the gospel. We're all a part of it. And so... It's an exciting time in the life of Christian Adoption Services, and we're excited. We believe the best days are ahead as we continue to stand on the Word of God and placing vulnerable children into a two-parent Christian home. And so uh, thank you again for your prayers and support. And so today I'm excited to share 1A with you. It's really good. I, I, the first group really enjoyed it, and they were blessed by it, and hope you will be as well. And hopefully, in all seriousness, we'll leave challenge and change by divine intervention with the Word of God today. There's a text that we're going to share today from Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And it's probably a text maybe you're familiar with um, as we look at uh, the, the, the birth of a baby boy that would, would come to be known as Moses, all right? And we're going to take a different angle on this today and look at really what I believe, as my study of Scripture, is the first adoption ever recorded in human history. First adoption recorded in human history, which would be Moses to an Egyptian princess. And we're going to, we're going to talk about the power of adoption today. Now, as we pick up in Exodus chapter 2 today, we pick up into the life of the Hebrew nation, a very young Hebrew nation that's in very much a difficult situation. If you, if you go back uh, several years before what we, when, when Moses is born into to, to this culture and this environment there in Egypt, you find that it really started, what, what led them to get to Egypt is goes back to the 12 tribes of Israel. If you go back to Jacob, he had 12 sons. The 11th son was Joseph. And you, you kind of can remember, uh, if you've read this or maybe gone to Sunday school and small groups over these years, that uh, Joseph was kind of bragging a little bit, kind of the favorite kid, I guess. And the brothers didn't like it. And then the brothers, had, some of the brothers had devised a plan to kill him. And thank goodness some others stepped in and said, no, we can't do that. And so they you know, threw him in the pit and faked his death and sold him into slavery, right? And so he's heading south. Uh, from the, the land of Israel, south toward Egypt. He's sold into slavery there. He enters into a house of Potiphar, uh, who was the head of the household, was, and rose in rank there while he was there. And then while he was there, uh, Potiphar's wife uh, came on to him, accused him of adultery falsely, because he did not um, do that, but was accused falsely, and then was uh, thrown into prison. While he was there, he met a, a cast of characters there while he was in prison. And then he interpreted some dreams for some folks while he was there. 
one of the folks had uh, been, been taken out up to, uh, up to uh, the Pharaoh's uh, palace and was serving there. Pharaoh had a dream, if you remember that, and he couldn't, nobody could interpret it. No one could share it or interpret it, but it disturbed the heck out of him. And so the, he remembered, one of the guys remembered uh, Joseph, who was there in prison, said, I know a guy that might could interpret that dream. So he brings Joseph out. Joseph told the dream and interpreted it. And the dream was this. There would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Severe that would affect the whole, the whole region. And so um, as a result of, of, of hearing this dream and interpreting this dream, Joseph is brought out of prison, put in a high position there, and really implements this plan for that first seven years of storing grain and so forth for what would be to come. And of course, God's uh, the, 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 the prophecy and what was shared there in that dream came to be. And so the seven years of plenty, uh, Joseph did a good job in, in storing all that. And then the seven years of famine came. The seven years of famine not only affected Egypt, but it affected that whole region, which ultimately goes back and affects Joseph's family up in the, in the, in the nation of Israel. And so come to find out what we see here is a kind of a unique situation is Joseph's brothers who thought he was dead at that point came down and there was a lot going on there and they're they're communicating they did not recognize Joseph Joseph had major repentance toward his brothers and then ultimately what happens is Jacob and the whole nation a very small nation you know like 100 folks come down and or survive because of their brother and, and and all that God allowed to happen there uh, during that famine and so what we pick up here in Exodus chapter 2 is hundreds of years later now, a couple hundred years later in, in Exodus chapter 2 that Joseph's long gone, uh, the Pharaoh who was favorable was long gone, and we pick up into a, a very difficult culture there in Egypt where the nation of Israel has exploded in population. The current Pharaoh is threatened by this group of people who are there now, a large group of people, throws them into slavery, and then puts this rule in, this law in Exodus chapter 1, you can go back and look at that, puts this law in that any male child born under the in age of 2 or under would be, firstborn male would be killed. That is the environment that Moses is born into in Exodus chapter 2 and what leads us to what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at this scripture together in Exodus chapter 2. Three truths I want to share with you as we think about this theme, the power of adoption. The power of adoption. Exodus chapter 2. Here's what it says. The Bible says in verse 1, A man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it uh, in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off uh, to know what would be done to him. Verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister stood, uh, said to Pharaoh's uh, daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him 
out of the water. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. As we think about the theme of the power of adoption, let's go into verses 1 through 3. And we're going to see the first, the power of sacrifice. The power of sacrifice. If you go and you see again the recap of what was happening there, a baby boy was born. He was three months old. She could not hide him, and they came up with a plan. And this was a very desperate plan, right? Because if the baby boy was to be found, what would have happened to this baby, this baby boy? He would have been killed, right, according to the law and what they had set forth in Exodus chapter 1 by the Pharaoh there. So they came up with this plan to give this baby boy an opportunity for life and a, and a chance of hope. And so they put this plan together with this, this little ark to put down in the river and... God would hopefully take care of this baby boy. Man, that had to be a tough situation. Can you imagine being this baby boy's parents and realizing that this is the only chance of, of hope and life that this baby boy would have? You know, I, I call that sacrifice, right? They, they were in a very difficult situation. They knew they could no longer keep him or alter, he would definitely be killed. And they, they came up with this sacrificial plan to give him an opportunity for life, You know, and I, I think about that when I read this text, it often makes me think about the, the birth moms, the moms that we work with, and, and, and dads as well sometimes when, when we're involved with the dads, that they're making, when they're, they realize, they come to the conclusion, they find out they're pregnant, and they come to the conclusion that they're not able to parent, right? They're in a, you know, a lot of dysfunction, whether they're very young, could be, you know, 13, 14 years old, could be a little bit older, but just, you know, making bad choices and, and not, not stable in any way. But yet they make that choice to say, I cannot parent this child, but I want this child to have a better life than I can give them. And I choose a family through Christian adoption services. Man, that's, that's the epitome of sacrifice, right, when it comes for these moms. You know, when I think about sacrifice today, I think a lot of us, you know, we... We, Jesus is very clear, and the Bible talks about it in the Gospels, that what, what sacrifice is about, right? Two things. One, he tells us that we're to be a living sacrifice, right? That's what he calls us to, to be, is a living sacrifice. Two, and I'm thankful that as, as God talks about unconditional love and sacrifice, in Romans he talks about it, it says God demonstrated his love for us, right? That he sent his only son Jesus to die for our sins. And so God doesn't just talk about sacrifice. He showed us, he demonstrated us sacrifice by sending his one and only son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to give us hope and a chance for eternal life in heaven I think in our 21st century culture today a lot of us we minimize sacrifice um, we rationalize it a little bit when he when Jesus tells us that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice we don't necessarily get that we don't practically follow that in our lives today uh, Kim and I my wife we've been married 27 years and and by the way, I don't know if any of you are born and raised in Charlotte. She's one of five that are still left, all right? You know, everybody's transplanted here, but she was actually born and raised in Charlotte. We've been married 27 years now. And I remember my first year of marriage. And some of y'all reflect, if you've married, you look back on that first year. There's a lot you learned in that first year. But I remember that uh, I was in seminary. We were in seminary up at Southeastern, and she was working. I was full-time in school, and I thought that, immaturely right I looked at this wrongly that if I washed the dishes once a week that was sacrificial baby you know what I'm saying and it didn't take long for me to learn that that wasn't really a true sacrifice and I think a lot of times we don't understand sacrifice the way God wants us to understand sacrifice 
from the Word. As I've matured over the years, and I'm still learning on some things when it comes to that, it, there, there are a couple of, of characteristics, I believe, when you really think, is that truly sacrificial? There are two characteristics that pop out to me that if you were to test that, whatever that, that, that fill-in-the-blank is, this, this should measure up. One is this, does it hurt? Because when, when I'm truly sacrificing, there is a little bit of pain, right? There's a little bit of pain. And secondly, I'm putting others ahead of myself. Those are two good tests to kind of understand if, that's, if you're truly being sacrificial um, with, with what you're thinking that might be a sacrifice. And I think a lot of times we fall way short of that. Does it hurt? And am I putting others ahead of myself? Now, we go back to this text. Moses' parents, that had to hurt, didn't it? And then secondly, were they putting the child above their own thoughts and needs at the time? Absolutely. And so truly that passes that test of sacrifice. And we think about the power of adoption. There is an element of sacrifice in our lives when it comes to adoption. Whether that be from a birth mom standpoint, birth dad, whether that be a family whether that, you know, there, there's, there's so many avenues of that that play, pour in when it comes to adoption with sacrifice. So we see that in verses 1 through 3, the power of sacrifice. Secondly, we see as we think about this theme of the power of adoption, we see the power of God at work. Look at verses 4 and 5 for a second. It says, And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came to, down to bathe at the river, her maids walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. The power of God. Let me ask you a question for a second. Have you ever been at the wrong place at the wrong time? Anybody been there? We've all been there, right? That's not a good feeling, right? When you reflect on that, man, I really messed up. I made a bad choice. But let me tell you something. When you're in the right place, how many of you have been at the right place at the right time? There's something cool about that, right? The right place at the right time. And hopefully that's centered in the Lord, right? Where God's guiding our lives and guiding our paths and we, we, we're at the right place at the right time. We, we see here in, in, in this text that the baby boy who had been you know, pushed into an ark, into a, a little ark in the river, landed at the right place at the right time. Let me jump back to like a Theology 101 for a second. I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in luck. I believe in the providence of God. And I believe God guided that little ark right where it needed to be at the exact right time. And, 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 you know, we only see what's right in front of us. God sees the whole picture. And he had a plan. God had a plan. And I think a lot of times we, we fall short of that in thinking that we're in control or, you know, that we believe, well, that was a lucky thing to happen. No, I don't, I don't believe in that. I believe God had a plan, and this baby boy was right at the right place at the right time, and God was at work. He got it at right where it needed to be. You know, I think a lot of times in our 21st century culture, we love to gravitate. I had the opportunity to go to Israel several years ago, and it was pretty awesome to go to places and to see the miracles that had happened in the Bible. One of those, you know, and I kind of in my mind kind of rank them a little bit. Like if I could have been an eyewitness at, at, at a miracle, some of them would have been pretty awesome. One of those for me was like when we were on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee and thinking about Peter walking on water. Wouldn't that, you know, just to see that or be a part of that? 
you know, and, and visualizing that and being on that boat, going across and seeing that, thinking about the storm and all that was happening. And I think a lot of times today, we'll look at the Old Testament, and certainly God's going to use this baby boy in a lot of miracles, you know, as, as, he, as he matures and grows and he's going to use him. But we think about the, the New Testament, all the miracles of Jesus and so forth and, and all that was happening there. I think a lot of times in our 21st century church culture, we, we look at all those miracles and kind of say, well, that was God then, and God doesn't work the same way today. I would disagree with you big time. Just because the, the miracles aren't getting headlines, God is at work in an amazing way. And, and certainly, we're testimonies of that. I think all of us, if we were to take a step back and we, we look and say, man, what has God done in my life and in our lives? And just that we're here today... Just that we're saved. I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself. If, you, if you're a Christ follower, that's a miracle, right? Because we don't, what does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is death. I'm thankful for part B of that. Because part A is bad. For the wages of sin is death. There wasn't a part B. We might as well just shut the Bible, say a prayer, and go on and do what we want to do. But part B is this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank goodness for that. We are all living miracles because we don't deserve to go to heaven. But God loves us. And, and we have an opportunity to tap into that power. And, and God is at work in our world today. Whether we want to close our eyes and not look at it. If we just open our eyes and, and see God at work. He is doing some amazing things. And I want to be a part of that. And I hope you want to be a part of that as well. But we see the power of God right here. Guiding that ark, that little baby boy, very vulnerable, very vulnerable. Put him in the right place at the right time to be discovered by the Egyptian princess. Now that leads us to the third truth as we think about the power of adoption. We see the power of sacrifice from Moses' parents. We see the power of God at work and guiding that, uh, that little ark right where it needed to be. But lastly, we see the power of care and compassion. The power of care and compassion. Look at verses 6. Let's start in verse 6. It says, And when she opened it, talking about the Egyptian princess, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. Now, this is it's, it's unique, and I'm not an expert on babies by any means, and I don't get to go to the hospitals and, and see all these babies placed, but I see the videos. It's pretty awesome. But I'm not, not going to get deep into theology and, and, and go with the, the God makes babies cry at the exact right time. But I'm going to tell you, when you go back and you look at this, God made, God made baby Moses cry at the exact right time. Because look at it. It says, it says, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And then what's next? So she had compassion on him. Now, that's pretty significant, right? Because we've got to remember the culture in which baby Moses was born into and, and where he was born into, the Egyptian culture, the, the Egyptians worshipped many false gods, right? They did not worship the one true God, right? They did not worship the one true God. So this Egyptian princess, even though she did not know the one true God, it says that because where this, what was going on in, in this baby boy's life in that moment, when he cried out, even though she did not worship the one true God, she had compassion on a child that was in great need. That's significant, right? That's convicting. It should be convicting for all of us because if we have the truth of God, we believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and risen again three days later, and we have hope for eternal life, and we know we're going, we breathe our last, we're going to go to heaven. What does that say about us? Because she didn't have truth, but yet God still moved her to compassion. What does that say about us as God's people? 
We should have compassion just as equal as she had or even more because we have the truth of God in us. And what God did for us undeservingly in sending His Son Jesus to die on a cross for you and for me, that power of care and that power of compassion moved her to action. See, it's one thing for us to be moved in a moment of conviction, but does that lead us and call us to action? See, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think a lot of us in, in our 21st century church culture, we're here a good sermon, we're moved, but, are we, but we walk out the door and we're like, we don't apply it to our lives. And what does that mean for me? Or, or it means something for somebody else, but, but not for me. I'm okay. See, it's a call to action. And we see here the Egyptian princess in her, in her frail mind spiritually who did not know the one true God, was still moved to care for someone who couldn't care for themselves. This baby boy. The power of care and compassion. You see, for us today, I think a lot of times we want grace from God. Because we mess up, right? We want care and compassion from other people, right? But a lot of times we don't pass it on like we should. We want it. We want it. But we don't let it flow through us to other people like we should. Will y'all admit that? I, I'm guilty of that. Um, about a year ago, that got tested, actually. I, my youngest is a, uh, was entering his freshman year at UNC Wilmington and was driving home for the first time from Wilmington back here to Matthews. Driving back, I think it was 74, coming all the way back across the state. And I got the phone call. I knew he was coming in that weekend. Got the phone call. I saw it. Okay, okay. I answered it. Hey, bud, how are you? Uh, Dad, I got some bad news. You ever gotten this call? I got a speeding ticket. Anybody ever, as a parent got that call? That's not a fun call to get. And so I, I, I will tell you all exactly how the conversation went. Okay, so he says, I got a speeding ticket. My first question, can you all imagine what my first question was? How fast was the first question? And he answered the question, 71 and 55. Every bit of care and compassion went right out the door as soon as he said that. And the flesh just came up. And I did not handle that very well because you cannot accidentally typically go 71 into 55. And I'm thinking car insurance prices going up and all this mess. You know, it's going to cost me money. I did not handle it very well. He got home. We had a conversation with his mom. We talked about it. Consequences for bad choices, right? There was going to be some cost to go along with that. And he ended up paying that. But the next day, I was reflecting over the next day. And the Lord, y'all, have you ever had something that you, I, I call it this, you may not have heard of this term before, but those of us who have a little bit of maturity behind us, we may have something that we deal with called spiritual amnesia. Have y'all ever had that? Y'all know what I'm talking about for a second. Where you forget some of the things you did in your youth, right, as you're mature and older now, you forget. Well, I had a case of spiritual amnesia, and I'd forgotten all about it. The Lord reminded me, said, Kevin, not verbally, but just in my heart, the Lord just kind of got straight in my heart and said, do you remember uh, when you had a ticket? I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. And I think, and I look back, and I was calculating the year, and I was the same age that my son Benjamin was. And I was going in the 70s and the 55 as well. And my parents... My dad handled it very well uh, with me. I did not live up to that, to that standard when it came to that. And that was very convicting. I had to go back to Benjamin and apologize to him and say, Son, I'd forgotten. I got a ticket. You know, and that. I, I did not, my first reaction was not very good. I asked for your forgiveness from that. And, and I went through the same thing. And I think a lot of us, you know, you think about other things in our lives. 
we don't pass on that care and compassion, we forget where we made some of the same mistakes our kids make or others, grandkids make. And we don't show that grace, love, and compassion the Lord wants us to have. But we see here in this, in this text, in verses 6 through 10, care and compassion. And ultimately what that leads to in verse 10. Check out verse 10. Kind of the culmination of where we are here. It says, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. First adoption recorded in human history. And he became her son. So she called his name Moses. See, it's pretty cool when you look at all this together and you see the power of sacrifice, the power of God, and the power of care and compassion because all that thrown together, the results of that are what? The results are the redemptive plan of God. Because you got to remember, everybody participating in this story at this point, whether it be Moses' parents, Moses' sister, the Egyptian princess, right? All the folks who were a part of this, they only saw what was right in front of him. They had no idea that what was going to happen with this baby boy, right? That he's going to grow up and be one of the greatest prophets ever to live on the planet and do some amazing things for the kingdom of God, right? Because this baby boy is going to grow up one day. He's going to become a man. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to hold the Ten Commandments of God in his hands. This baby boy is going to grow up and become a man and lead his people across the Red Sea and see all the Egyptian soldiers fall behind uh, when that water crashes in behind them. This, this baby boy is going to grow up. And as, as he's leading uh, the, the Israel, Israeli nation across the wilderness, he's going to cry out to God and pray, and manna is going to fall from heaven. This baby boy is going to grow up and become a man and lead his people all the way to the entrance, right there, to the promised land of God. You see, God's going to use him. As I think about children in need today, we have no idea... Lives that are being cut off through abortion, lives that ch children that could be adopted and their life changed forever physically on this earth, but also eternally, right? Where these children can be in heaven one day if we will stand up and we will show care and compassion and love to these vulnerable children, how God can use them to impact this kingdom for Him here and, on, and in heaven in the future. The redemptive plan of God. You see, I get to be a part of, it's pretty rewarding, I'm not going to lie. After 22 years of church ministry, 10 years as a senior pastor, I love what I'm doing. If I'd have met you six years ago and you said, Kevin, you're going to be running a nonprofit uh, adoption ministry, I'd have called you all nuts. I really would have because I've got three biological children. I knew nothing about adoption. But what really drew me to this ministry was the gospel and understanding the facts that God is my father. I am his child. I don't deserve to go to heaven, but he adopted me, Kevin Qualls, into his kingdom. That was all I needed to realize, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's so rewarding when you can see a child that's in a very difficult place, on a path of very dysfunction, and to see that child placed in the loving arms of a, of a husband and wife who love Jesus... And to see that child have the opportunity for stability, unconditional love, and exposure to the gospel, and hopefully come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yesterday I had the opportunity, we were in Raleigh, uh, we do the annual picnics, and uh, we had one in Charlotte last week, and one in Raleigh uh, this week, and it was so cool to see these children. So I came in 2016, and some babies were born right there when I first got there. Now they're going into kindergarten, and to see these children, right? 
the babies that were, again, difficult situations, and, and they're thriving uh, through adoption and through the parents that are loving them. And what's going to be really cool in the next couple of years is to see these children come to know Jesus Christ and be, be a part of their baptisms and see them come to know Christ and know they're going to be in heaven forever. I want to share a story with you as I wrap up, just to kind of give you a little bit in the heart of uh, as you pray and as you're giving and uh, just being a part of, of, of what God is doing through Christian Adoption Services. I want to just hang your hat on this story. It's a pretty awesome story. Uh, about a year ago, we got a call from a hospital about two hours away from here, and they called and said, hey, we've got a baby boy. He's two weeks old, and he's got some challenges but the mom has now chosen adoption. She didn't choose to begin with. She was waiting for some tests to come back. Now the tests have come back. She's chosen adoption. Um, do you, will y'all take custody of the child? And so it happened on a weekend. And so the worker called me, one of our workers called me and said, uh, Kevin, here's the situation. Baby boy is two weeks old. Here's what's going on. Number one, he has Down syndrome. I'm like, okay. Number two, he has a hole in his heart. I'm like, okay. Number three, he had some lower physical extremities that were going to require some reconstructive surgeries down the line. I'm like, okay. And, and so she said, do we want to take custody? Well, I just said, yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about it. I didn't have to pray about it. I was like, yes. And let me tell you why she asked the question. Because um, in, in North Carolina, uh, just because uh, my wife and I are good people and we love Jesus and we love babies, you just can't bring babies into your house you know, without going through the proper procedure uh, with home studies and so forth. And so what happens is if, if Christian Adoption Services takes custody of a child at the hospital and we cannot find a home for the baby, we have to place the baby in private foster care, which is very expensive per day. It's cost per day. And so that's the reason that she asked the question because there's some risk involved uh, when it comes to that. And so uh, I said, absolutely. And while we were talking, I said, I think I might know the family that might be willing and, and to adopt the child. They had already adopted, they had nine children. They had already adopted three internationally through CAS. They had adopted another child prior to me coming to CAS. They were approaching some older age at this point. But about six months prior to this, they called our work and said, listen, we don't know what God's doing. We've got nine kids. You know, we're hitting this age, you know, close to 50. But we feel like God wants us to adopt again. And we don't understand it, but we feel like God wants us to do it again. And so they began the process of getting all that stuff together. And so the Lord laid them on my heart when this phone call came in that they may be the family for, for this child. And so that, that night, uh, we called the family. And uh, it was a pretty incredible phone call. So I'll give you an example of that. So um, imagine... If I called Pastor Ryan today and we had a situation and he said, yeah, I know this family that might be willing to adopt. So imagine me calling you, all right, and saying, uh, hey, we've got a baby boy. He's two weeks old. He's got all this going on. Would you be willing to adopt? At your highest level of spiritual maturity in the room, you're probably going to say, we'll pray about it and call you back tomorrow, right? Is that, think about that. Or at least, you know, give me 24 hours and we'll call you back. So the phone calls made to this family I was telling you about and it was the most amazing phone call as we shared, you know, what was happening, the one, two, three things going on. And sight unseen, they both said over the phone, that's our son. That's our son. I'm like, oh my goodness, I could not have done that. That's our son. I'm like, wow. And so about a, a day later, um, I was 
reflecting on the whole situation, just how amazing that is. And the Lord just kind of touched me with this thought. Kevin, as this family views this baby boy, it's how I view you, me. I'm like, yeah, I messed up, right? I got a sin issue. But God still chooses me unconditionally. And matter of fact, that's not how I think of you. I think of everyone like that. And so, in a way, what, what God was saying there is, I choose you. I'll take that one. 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 God looks at us the same way as this, baby, as this family looked at this baby. Let me show you a picture of, we call him baby Z. I can't show you the full picture because it's not finalized yet. But yesterday in Raleigh, I got to hold baby Z. And boy, did I want to bring that picture because it's the freshest picture. I wanted to show it to y'all. It will be shown one day, but I, I, I can't show it yet. And he's something else. He's heavy, man. He was holding my, my arm, man. I got to lift some weights. You know, I turned 50 last month. I got to get, I got to get going on that. Um, but I'm telling you, it's something special to hold this baby and to see how God worked. And so here's the reality. As you pray for Christian adoption services, and you support and you give, all these things, you're supporting these type of situations that we're out there fighting for the vulnerable child. But here's the reality of that. There could have been a number four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever was, was going on with this child or any child. Christian Adoption Services is going to say yes to every situation. Every situation. No matter what comes our way, we're always going to say yes. Why? Because God created each of us in His image and I believe God has a home for each child, not just a, a, a place of safety, but we believe a Christian home where they can be exposed to the truth of the gospel and hopefully be in heaven one day. That's the agency you're supporting. That's the agency you're praying about 17 miles down the road, this fighting for these, child, these children all, all through the Carolinas, internationally, fostering. That's the heart of who we are and why we do what we do. And so thank you for your prayers and support for this ministry. It's a privilege to be a part of it. It's exciting. It's hard work. The evil one hates what we're doing. The spiritual warfare element of what we deal with every day is, is hard. But knowing folks here at West Cabarrus Church are praying for this ministry means the world to us. And I hope you'll continue to do that in the days ahead as you continue to, as the Lord just lays our ministry on your heart. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we wrap up today. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for this message. Thank you for the scripture, the very first adoption recorded in human history. And Lord, how you took a child that's in a very difficult situation. You brought stability and love. And ultimately, Lord, you used him to make such an incredible impact on this planet for you, touching so many lives as a result of Moses' ministry. Lord, I pray for each person here today. I'm sure many who are listening realize that they are saved. And if they were to breathe their last today, they would go to heaven. And they've been adopted by you. But perhaps there are folks here that realize that they've not been adopted. And Lord, I pray for each person here, especially that individual. Lord, today is a day of salvation. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. And you rose. he rose three days later to give us hope here but hope for eternity in heaven. And so I pray, Lord, for obedience during this time as we reflect 
And Father, that we will uh, serve you and, and be open to whatever you call us to do, whatever avenue that looks like, that it's a call to action. Lord, the story of the Egyptian princess and her response to action, Lord, should motivate us because we have truth and absolute truth to live out the gospel and to care for those who can't care for themselves. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for adopting us, Lord. We give you this time. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.